Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle. My co-host, Rachel Santizo, could not make it today. But I have one of my favorite people with me, people in recovery, Cantrell. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You, uh, the interesting thing about Cantrell, and we'll get into his story, is that one of the things he likes to do now is spread the word that recovery is possible mm-hmm. and and try to give others hope that if, if they're battling addiction right now, that there, there is a road out and that, that life can be good on the other side, right? Absolutely. You, um, life can be great. And, and it's a lot better for you now than it was, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, my life now has gotten to the point where I feel like I am in control. Uh, I feel empowered. And uh, I am just waiting for unlocking what the future holds because now I have that option. What uh, I, I like your your positive approach and not not worrying that much about okay, am I going to be this or that or how much am I going to make or all that kind of stuff. But the, I like you saying that you're in control and and uh, that when I was a, when I was going through my functional alcoholic decades. Uh, that was the one thing that bothered me the most right. is that, you know, I would black out. I couldn't remember what I did. And that's a horrible loss of control. Yeah. Uh, and and then all of a sudden to get clarity and then and be able to control your life uh, is, is something good. Tell us how how did your uh, your battle with addiction start out? Um, well, my battle started out when I was very young. Um I was in um, an environment that did not teach people the God-given gifts that we have, you know, that I have the power to choose how to live my life, that I have the power to feel good about myself, to like what I do. Um, I lived in an oppressive situation, so I kind of never, I never got the proper education into self. And it started out how young? Uh, very young for me, uh, five. Um, my mother was not around as often as I would like. And I had four siblings that I had to raise um, as at a five-year-old age. Uh, and so uh, my life choices were mostly towards dealing with that situation, providing, um, keeping them safe. Um, at the age of five? At the age of five, yeah. That's a hell of a responsibility. It is. And and a lot of that I obviously could not deal with because I was five. <laughs> <laughs> <That's, yeah. clears throat> and so it was survivor mode 24 hours a day. Um, and when I got to the point where I was able to start kind of discovering who I am, and all of that was put on the back burner. Um, life was, was day to day about where am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? Um, and how am I going to keep people from, um, taking advantage of, of the situation where we were living from place to place? We did have family, um, but they weren't in much better situations. So when did the drug start? Um, not five. No, not five. Um, my first um addiction was food um food made me feel good 
Um, and I went from that to discovering alcohol. Um, you At know, what age? Teenage, you know. Um, okay. 16, 17, um, the thrill of smoking cigarettes, you know, is against the rules. And right. Grabbing a beer with your friends. And eventually uh, I would discover pot, um, which for me was um, most definitely like a gateway drug type of thing. Like I felt like for the first time I was choosing something. You know, this was not uh, the environment choosing it for me. This was not my mom choosing it for me. This was me. And um, I did have some interesting interactions, you know, based around that lifestyle. Um, so before that, I was uh, very much in a situation where I, I avoided a lot. Um, I isolated. And then this, all of a sudden, for the first time, I was starting to go out and meet people surrounded in the drug culture. Um, I did not realize, however, is that um, people surrounded in the drug culture was not uh, particularly dependable. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the time, though, they seemed they're your buddies, your friends, right? right? Yeah. Uh, it was a group. I felt like I belonged for like the first time. Um, and I had, by this point, I had been adopted out of my biological family. So I was now a single child. Oh. Um, and so that, that left me getting all the attention and um, stuff like that at home. And I have friends outside of home. I thought life was great. But but you were still using drugs. Well, yeah. Well, the idea was that you, you feel like your life is great. But in actuality, of course, I couldn't hold down a job. I didn't make it to appointments on time. I had all those other lifestyle uh, things that were going on with drugs. I constantly got into arguments and disputes with my my mother. Um, I did not feel independent. Um, and of course that shiny cloud around drug use, you know, only lasts for so long and right. then the dark clouds roll in and you on a daily basis find yourself uh, wondering why you don't have why you're constantly um, feel like you need, why you want to have something different. Um, but your friends tell you, oh, this is great. You know, you're having fun. Um, this is this is the life. What else could you possibly want? And what I didn't realize I wanted was I wanted self-respect. I wanted to have some self-esteem. When I looked at other people while I was using, I didn't feel like um, an empowered human being, someone that was able to be respected, someone who was going after his goals. I didn't feel like that at all. I would shy away from them because I knew in the back of my head, of course, um, the reality was that I was making mistakes. I still didn't quite know what those mistakes were yet because I was new into the using. Um, but eventually I would discover um, disappointments at work. Uh, I would discover a short fuse um, for dealing with situations, I had no coping skills. My coping skill was using. Right. And when using did not work, I had no other alternatives. So I would just use more. You know, if, if one doesn't work, you know, two <laughs> will work. Real, yeah. <laughs> and if it doesn't work first thing in the morning, by the afternoon, things will get better, right? Right. 
in you know these these lies that you tell yourself take away your energy they i don't i it, looking back on it now i can see that it sapped all of the parts of me that wanted to be me it it, it just drained that away um the self judgment uh, the doubt um the constant questioning of decisions you knew were wrong, but you're, everyone else around you was still telling you that they were good. So you're, you're always battling that. And now, looking back on it, I can see that not listening to how I felt in here was the part that sapped my energy because <clears throat> I was trying to get out. I was always a good person. Sure. I was always um, a kind, gentle human being. I like other people. I want to do well. I want to follow my goals. That was always in here. But while I was outwardly lying to myself, um, there was this battle taking place. And it took place, the battlefield was my family home. It was uh, with my schools. Um, I would eventually uh, get kicked out of uh, the school system um, because I was acting out. And the thing about that I've learned about your feelings and who you are inside is people think that you can stuff that stuff down, that you can hold it in, but it always finds a way out. Like how you feel always gets out. Um, however, by the time it gets out, it might be pressure cooked into <laughs> just anger or rage or defensiveness or uh, self-loathing. You know, all those, that was originally a good feeling that was inside of you. But because of your current actions, that feeling got twisted and it got turned into something that became dark because wanting to be who you were became painful because that's not what your behavior showed. Right. <clears throat> and so it, it came out of me in acting out behaviors and I would, I would explode in situations that were basic. You know what I mean? If you looked at a, a person who was raised within a loving situation and had parents who showed them how to cope, you could see children coping with the same situation that you're dealing with. And you're a grown man by this point. And you've been doing this for a long time and you just, you can't understand why it's different for you. So you, for of course, with the, the drug uh, mentality and the outward um, behaviors being what they were, like I blamed the world. Sure, <clears throat> I blamed my mom. I blamed my job or my boss at work for why I couldn't show up right. on time. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's <clears throat> your fault that I'm yeah. late. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like if if you guys had just set the start time later. <laughs> <laughs> and that's typical thinking of of somebody who is dealing with addiction. Uh, yeah. I used to do that all the time when I was a functional alcoholic. It, it was like, it, it, and I worked in TV, and it'd be people, it was the guy running audio or the guy running the camera or my news director, or right. it's not my fault. Of course. I'm perfect. Or, yeah, and that, that whole belief system is what led me to seeking more intense ways of escaping the reality that in here I knew but I just, for whatever reason, I could not admit that to myself outwardly. I could not have my behavior match my feelings inside. And so the acting out just got worse 
and getting worse acting out looks like taking riskier and riskier drugs. It looks like engaging in riskier, riskier situations. That's why a lot of people find themselves in jail because um, they're they're doing that higher risk situation to try and, and get that feeling that they already have inside of them. Um, but they're acting out just turns them against the world through that kind of thinking. Sure. Um, so it's not the world that is doing this to you. You are doing behavior in the world is, is what we learned in treatment is called natural consequences. You know, if you go up and, you know, punch somebody in the face, the natural consequences, they're going to be upset. Right. They're going to call the cops. Right. And they're going to demand that something be done about you so that you don't do this to them again or someone else. That's the way of the world. Um, and there's that is not that they're doing it to you. They're saying that, hey, you're making decisions that are not safe for the people around you. But you don't want to hear that <clears throat> when you're in your At addiction. At the time. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you're you're stealing stuff. Yeah, well, it wasn't that expensive. Um, the, the store I'm stealing from is making a huge profit, right, yeah. so it's not going to hurt them. It's not going to hurt them. Um, and, and it wasn't it, the problem is it's not about any of that. It's that your decisions um, escalate in intensity. And the problem is, is that eventually you are going to do something that you can't say it doesn't matter, even to yourself. You're going to hurt someone. Um, I just saw a video uh, recently of a guy who was so drunk that he ran over another person. And he crashed into the wall. And this was in the middle of like a park. And he was so drunk that after he freaked out, he tried to run away, but he couldn't even run away. And that's the type of stuff where like, no, he didn't intend to do that. Right. That was not his intention. But because his behavior kept escalating, this this is what they they try and protect people from. This is why they say we're going to put you in jail for 30 days, two years, five years to try and get you to realize that this is where you're headed. But now you've taken someone else's life. Yeah. And you, and can't, so take that you back. can't take that back. Yeah. Right. So that's escalated beyond your control. Where did yours escalate to the worst? Um. At the worst for me, so I was one of those people that was an introvert. I um, mostly caused damage to myself. Oh. Um, I stole from my family who would take pity on me and not call the cops. And um, even sometimes they would feel so loving towards me that they would make mistakes by giving me money to help me so I didn't go and do something else. Again, escalating. So if I give you money and you can use the money to buy drugs, then you don't have to steal to buy right. drugs. So we, they think they're keeping me safe. But really, that type of behavior is what um, extends people's drug use all too often. It kept me using drugs way longer than I would have otherwise. Um, so they didn't. They enabled you. They, and they enabled didn't set any boundaries. Um, they tried. However, as an addict, you know, I, I don't know where this feeling comes from. By the way, but you feel entitled yeah. <laughs> after after you realize you can get this out of them. Well, now I want three times as much. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you said you love me, right? 
<laughs> prove it. And so, you know, it becomes this thing to where like you it's um it feeds itself. We call it a cycle in treatment. And it very much is a cycle. And every time you go around that cycle, if you don't if you don't realize what you're doing, then um you even with your family, like so for me, my my deepest rock bottom was right before I came into treatment. Um I wanted to end my suffering. This continuous cycle of going out and using, coming home battered and just broken and recovering for a few days and going back out and using and coming home hurt. That that was just like hell to me. And I remember um, I had finally, I come home to my mom and I didn't care that she knew that I was using. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, that, that right. no longer was a thing. I'd escalated to that point. And I remember I just told her straight up with no, no um, deception, um, no trying to hide my shame. Just give me money for drugs or I'm going to go and kill someone or, or hurt myself um, to get it, you know, whichever one happens in the process. And I just remember like that for me was crossing a line that I had previously made, even in my addiction, that I would never because I would look at other people who did that. And I would think, oh, my God, well, at least I'm not that bad. <laughs> yeah. and, and then yeah. finally, I was that bad. Yeah. And so um, she always wanted to help me, but she didn't know how. And one of my therapists that I had known for a long time, uh, Bill, he suggested inpatient treatment, but in Arizona, they don't have programs like Odyssey and, you know, the other programs that are out there. They don't have the inpatient option, even for private pay. Um, they just have 14 day, 30 day, you know, seven day detox type things. So we didn't really know what to do. And then um, my mom, she got online and she was just looking up for programs and I swear if she, she's done the same thing recently and Odyssey does not come up. But this time it was like my higher power was like, <laughs> just go yeah. just give these guys yeah. a call. Who knows how that works when you Google something. Right. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. I, I don't know. Sometimes I think that there is a little bit of divinity involved there, some serendipity. So she she went online yeah. and, and found Odyssey. Right. Um, well, she was <laughs> looking for um, long term programs. Because even I could see that I've done the 30-day program thing. It, it doesn't do anything. Um, if anything, it makes the situation kind of worse because you come out clean and your body. So when you use the drugs again, your body feels that intensity all over again, kind of like your first time. And so now you, you're you back to that level of wanting. Quickly. Yes. Yeah. Very quickly. And, and now you know where to get it. Like you have all of that <laughs> I'm knowledge. <a> pro. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And you, you kind of, so you lose yourself a lot faster and you seem to, rather than just falling, you <laughs> dive into your addiction. So, and, how, so how'd you get into Odyssey? Well, I got in, um, I called a couple of other programs first, actually, and I was not accepted into those other programs. And the the director of the program said, you know, basically we only take, you know, people who are just out of prison, like they don't have any 
places to go. They don't have any family. And when I gave them my background story, I, you know, I had my mom, I, I was still somewhat functioning. I had a car, I still had a job, I still had money. So I didn't qualify. And so I was furiously upset. I was, cause this was like my last go. Like I was like, really like, I don't know what else to do. And so uh, I was irrational in my use at that time. So I just gave up. But my mom persevered. She could think a lot more clearly. And she asked him, where else can he go? And they said, well, um, I know I have these numbers of this program. It's, it's a very hard program, though. Most people don't make it. And um, she was like, he can make it. He can do it. She never gave up on me. And she got the number to Odyssey. And I called admissions. And I talked to them. And they gave me the, the website information on what I need to bring and, you know, come on down. And, but this was unfortunately at the time when COVID had just ah, hit. Yeah. And so um, the intake process was a lot more strenuous at sure. that point. Sure. They had to make sure that you were sick or that you weren't sick and that you weren't going to come in and um, like infect the house. But actually the ironic thing was right before um, I came, I did get COVID. So I had to wait. At that point, it was still, they were saying 30 days. This is in the very beginning of COVID. Yeah. So um, I waited my 30 days and then I flew up here and I, I had somehow gotten the time wrong for my intake. So I was early. Yeah. <clears throat> Better than late. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I did not end up getting in on that day. Um, so I went back home. And I used again. And I remember about three days after that, uh, I got a call saying, we're going to have an opening for you. There's going to be a bed in two weeks. All you got to do is make it here. Um, I waited that two weeks. And in that time, my drug addiction had intensified even more. Um, however, my, I had also, my mother had gotten some help from some of her friends. And they were saying, no, don't enable him. Do not <laughs> do not give in to that, you know, impulse to help because you're not helping. Um, and so I kind of had a few days there before, well, about a week before where my mom had stood her ground, held her boundaries. And I was very proud of her for that. I got my head clear a little bit. I got on the plane and I came to the program and... I went in and immediately, this was unlike any other program I'd been to, um, I was being um, treated like a person right from the beginning. Um, they wanted to know everything about me and my addiction. You know, how did it come about? Um, how do you feel? Are you healthy right now? Do you need, I was given food, I was given um, clothes. Mm -hmm. um, I was given everything that I needed. Uh, I remember at that point I, I needed shoes and um, they had a pair of shoes to fit my big feet. <laughs> what size? 13 wide. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So um, I was really impressed by that because the other programs I went to, they really did not. I wouldn't say cater. I'd say they weren't really interested in how you had showed up. They were mostly just interested in the fact that you were sober. And if you were sober, then 
they would help you. But if you weren't sober, then they would not help you. But these, the place I was at here, like I just used like yesterday. Uh, and I was terrified to tell them that because other programs will kick you out if they know that you haven't been sober for sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's 14 days right. or 30 days. They'll tell you to go get clean, then come back. You can help you, which never made much sense to me. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like if I could do that, then I wouldn't be coming here. But we only have about five minutes left. Okay, so yeah. describe uh, just briefly mm. how long you were in Odyssey uh, and how it worked. Uh, I was in Odyssey for about seven and a half months. Okay. Um, and during that time, I engaged um, with myself in ways that I did not expect. Um, when I came to treatment, I had an idea about what I wanted to do to heal myself, but I didn't really know what the process was. It was just an idea. And in here, I got, I gained things I never expected, like self esteem. Um, I learned not to force my emotions down. I learned to speak up and that was empowering. And so each one of these things is kind of built on another. And then I learned about this word called accountability, which I had never <laughs> heard before. <laughs> and that word would change my life. Um, and I would use that word as like a self healing like tool. Um, and throughout my seven and a half months in treatment, I would go from being this fragile little pup um, who needed so much attention um, to heal, to um, being a leader in the house. Um, and this, this change happens all by itself. Like a lot of people think that you have to, if you, if you follow the treatment plans that they give you, if you follow the process that's in place on um, the therapeutic community, um, these things just happen. Like a lot of people leave because they feel like, well, I can't do that. <clears throat> you know what I mean? I, I, and they have all this self doubt, but really just being in this environment changes you. You see other people going through struggles mm -hmm. and you see how they grow and they learn. And it's one it's one action at a time. I learned that I have the, the right to choose. Like, even when I didn't feel like I was choosing, like my environment chose what I had to do to survive. Even in that situation, I felt I had an option to choose what I wanted to do. And I didn't realize this. And once I felt like that, I started to take my power of choice. Uh, I wouldn't say it's control because control sounds like, you know, I'm getting to dictate how the world is right. around me. That's that's not the case. The control I'm talking about is the choice that I get to make. I get to respond to how I, to situations that I find myself in. And the deeper you go with choosing, I mean, it can get down to a microscopic, almost genetic level as to choice. Because then I, I am now discovering I get to choose what I put in my body, whom I talk to what we talk about, <clears throat> whether or not I surround myself with positive people, I stay involved with the program um, to always remind myself is that the change is ongoing. It never ends. That's why I kind of like the name Odyssey, because it really is. It's an adventure. An epic journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's one that you're going to be, I'm discovering things about myself that I have not even thought about since I was a kid. Like I'm going that far back. Wow. And so, uh, it's been great. 
and you and and you seem so happy now, and you speak so well. I mean, it's 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 really impressive. I, Thank you. I wish I would have. I wish I would have met you when you first came in, so oh, I could man. see the difference. <laughs> yeah, was, I, I don't want to have met you then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, well, is no, I was very much into so much negativity can surround a person that it drowns them. Um, and if you have never experienced a place or an environment or people or a community, which is where we live in a, a therapeutic community, if you never experienced what it's like to have people in my, in my mind, it's when I'm about to fall, I have dozens of hands holding me up. And then once I can stand, they let go and they cheer me on. Um, and they, when I'm going to make a mistake, they point it out. You're like, there's a hole right there. You don't go over there. Let's, let's walk over here. Yeah. Let's go this way. You know, there's something that I can't see coming, but they've been in this for five, 10, 15, 20 right. years. They can see that meteor from space coming that I am not even perceiving yet. <laughs> and they'd be like, you know what? We're going to take a break and we're going to stop right now because, and we're going to let this bad thing pass. And we're just going to get strong in the moment. Um, and they keep you there and you're like, I, but I want to go. I want to, I want to do something. <laughs> I want to move. And like, just relax. <clears throat> and then, then the meteor hits and you're just like, oh my God, I avoided that. Thank you so much. <laughs> and you're just like, I never would have seen that coming. So you realize that this is how it is to be a part of a community um, with people who have been doing this for longer. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that I've had this experience because now I'm, I'm getting to do the exact same thing for other people. Now, 14 months into my recovery, I'm getting to, to help other people, um, not to do it for them, um, but to do it with them. Wow. We're glad to have you in our recovery community. You're an impressive person and you just you do so many good things now, and I can't wait to see what your future holds for you. So, oh, yes. It's bright, Randall. Yeah, I know. It's bright. Cantrell, thank you for sharing with everybody. I hope you're an inspiration to everybody out there watching because recovery is possible and it, it can be great, right? It can be great. <laughs> recovery is not boring. Um, it's the life, adventure of a lifetime. Trust me. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Cantrell. Thank you, and Randall. thank you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals. Thank you.